source of drinking water. You're so um, this thing is presently being mishandled by the DEQ and Judge Shelton in, in Ann Arbor, and we, we need some help. So, you know, since I can't go, <laughs> I'm hoping somebody will, will ask that question. I hope so too, and thanks for calling. Thanks for your calling. Because that is a really important issue. And if yeah, you want to stay, really is. we're it, we're it, in deep doo doo on this thing, and and our elected officials are really not doing anything about it. If you want to stay on the line, we can talk a little bit more yeah, after we go off you. air Thank too. You. You're welcome. Thanks for well, the call. Mm-hmm. The pressure's on you, Charmy. You're the one that's got to ask that question. I will at seven thirty. <laughs> you know serious. I will, and I know you will too. <laughs> You could do it, Ali. All right. I want to thank I want to thank all our callers today. I want to thank Alex Belhaj for engineering so lovely, um, and Alex Sergey for his brilliant question from the back of the class. Um, and I want to in, I want to also ask folks to go to the University of Michigan um, Multicultural Affairs website and see what sort of things are coming up this month. It's American Indian, Na- I'm sorry, Native American History Month, and um, I can't believe I didn't tell you about the upcoming events, but there are plenty of them, including a performance by Martha Redbone and um, some beating classes are what's left over, I think. Um, but I want to thank you for listening and we got to go because Mike Perini is probably out of patience with us so far. I'm always running over. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Pandora's Lunchbox and WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Good evening, this is Mike. Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food and culture, and waiter, there's food in my culture, or there's culture in my cheese. But most importantly, there are towns named after fruits, and that's what I'm here to talk to you about today. This is important political news. It is, no, really. Uh, Fruitport, Michigan, in West Michigan, tried to dissolve itself. No, not in water. It actually tried to dissolve itself, the village of Fruitport, it's in Muskegon County that I mentioned, they tried to dissolve themselves so that they would just be a part of Fruitport Township. The reason was because 
because, 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 because they were paying more on their property taxes than they really wanted to, and they figured if they would just dissolve the village, then they would just pay for township services. Things wouldn't cost so much. So, according to the the, the, the Muskegon Chronicle, it takes more than a majority of a village to kill a village, which really makes me stop and think, but longer than I probably should. A ballot proposal to dissolve the village of Fruitport drew 306 yes votes and 155 no votes on Tuesdays. On Tuesday. Every Tuesday they vote on this. No, not really. But state law says such measures need a two-thirds ratio to be approved. In this case, leaving the Fruitport dissolution proposal just two votes shy. Fruitport came two votes shy of dissolving itself. And how many times do we say to ourselves, I wish I could dissolve myself? Two votes shy. Fruitport has been trying to dissolve itself since 1979. That's a group of people called, a group of people called People Against Wasteful Spending has been spearheading the most recent efforts, and sadly it has failed. Now I should tell you, Fruitport is located on the southern border of Muskegon County at the very end of the north, north branch of Spring Lake, so if they did want to dissolve themselves in water, they could. The Spring Lake contains Cornelius and Stahl bayous, and I did not know that there are bayous in Michigan. Guarantee, that's great. The town was originally founded by Edward L. Craw in 1868, who named it after himself as Crawville, a modest fellow. It was renamed Fruitport a year later <laughs> when the Pear Marquette Railroad built a station there, as the town was in the middle of a fertile fruit-growing area and also, wait for it, a port. It eventually was incorporated as a village in 1869. Fruitport. This is Food News on Pandora's Lunchbox, and this is XTC. Tend my fruit, tend my fruit, you've got to have a baby.
That was that was not Fruitport. That was Fruitport. No, that was Fruit Nut by XTC from their album Apple Venus. Fruit Apple Venus XTC. I love it. Uh, the bit in the beginning about spraying the chemicals to keep the disease away. I don't personally endorse, but then again. Um, yes. This is Pandora's Lunchbox. It's a show about food. You're listening to WCBN. Next on the agenda, next on deck, fast food in Britain. Uh, Morgan Spurlock of Supersize Me fame was recently in town, so that just made me think about fast food. And this is interesting. Now, we Americans have problems, yes, with fast food, with eating poorly. I do that fairly often, unfortunately. But in Britain, it's it's not too far off. This from the website called dehaviland.co.uk. People who immigrate to Britain significantly increase their risk of heart disease because of the country's fast food culture, says a new study. Researchers from the University of Manchester Medical School found people who move from South Asia to live in the U.K., are at higher risk of developing cardiovascular disease and becoming overweight than those who remain in their home regions. The U.K. has the highest rates of cardiovascular disease in the world, and people from the Indian subcontinent living in Britain are one of the groups most susceptible to strokes and heart attacks, according to researchers. The three-year study, which was funded by the British Heart Foundation, compared the lifestyles of Gujaratis living in Britain and those who have remained in villages in Gujarat. Those who moved to Britain were found to have a much higher risk of contracting cardiovascular disease and were more overweight than their rural, rural, rural hello they were more overweight than their rural I have trouble with the word rural sorry rural, rural counterparts remember that episode of Happy Days when Fonz has to say that he's wrong and he goes I'm never rural rural I'm never rural well, it's like that, because I'm always wrong. But uh says here, Professor Kennedy Cruikshank of Manchester says, Our average people in Britain had much higher body mass, b- blood pressure, blood cholesterol, and inflammation levels because they consumed more calories in the form of fat and relatively less unrefined carbohydrates. Research pointed out that fast food culture was infiltrating Indian cities as well, making urban dwellers there increasingly at risk from heart disease. Around 8 to 10 percent of India's urban population contract heart disease, compared to only 3 to 4 percent of rural inhabitants. However, those who moved to Britain from India were less likely to smoke, which researchers say is probably due to anti-smoking campaigns and the decreasing social acceptability of the habit. Well, there you have it. There you have it. And uh, with that in mind, uh, how about this? This is a woman who actually was born in India and ended up growing up in a suburb of Oslo, Norway. And then she did this record. Pick it up, read, don't listen, E-100 and 400. 
144. They preserve the taste, color, get the perfect decor. You want it, you're not sure, but they got more. Keep you running from store to store. Time we don't have. I read in some ad, and if that's a fact, my food better be fast. Me too. That is Sam Saya from her album Shedding Skin, originally originally born, as most of us are originally, originally from India and ended up growing up in Norway and making that album. And that song is called, surprisingly enough, Fast Food. This is Pandora's Lunchbox, a show about food when we can can deal with it. There's just too many important things going on in the world today. Politics is too important to take seriously. I think. So, moving right along to pumpkins, I know uh, we're halfway between Halloween and Thanksgiving or something to that effect. That's really poor math, but okay. The Pumpkin Chunkin Contest. This is a contest in which people with air cannons blast pumpkins as far as they possibly can. And uh, yes, in fact, the a Michigan team has won for the third year out of four in the... Here we go. Here we go. This, is, this, is, this is it straight from the Associated Press, so it's definitely true. A Michigan team wins the Air Cannon Division title in the Pumpkin Chunkin World Championships because in the United States we have the right by law to dis- declare things world championships for the third time in the past four years. The cannon named Second Amendment blasted a pumpkin more than 4,300 feet on Friday, about 100 feet shy of the world record it set in 2003. Bruce Bradford, who owns a steel fabricating business in Howell, Michigan, owns the aluminum contraption. It weighs 9 tons and has a 100-foot-long barrel. 
Pumpkin chunk. Pumpkin, sorry, pumpkin is the improper pronunciation. It's pumpkin. Pumpkin chunkin. Yes, in fact. But, uh, yes. Now, looking up information on this on the web, where, where it's very important to, uh, to find out more about this, I went to no more authoritative a source on pumpkin chunkin but The Economist. The Economist of the UK. In their uh, section called The Meaning of America, Pumpkin Shooting, where men are men and pumpkins are nervous. If the United Nations were to send weapons inspectors to Delaware, this is where the contest went, what happened, they would find a surprising number of super guns being assembled in backyards. If interrogated, the unshaven men tinkering with these enormous weapons would say they were building devices for hurling pumpkins great distances. The men from the UN would doubtless find this hard to believe. Every year since 1986, near Millsboro, the pumpkin chunkin has been held. Last week, this is actually, yeah, last week, 100 teams vied to see whose machine could toss an 8 to 10 pound pumpkin the farthest. There were various categories, air cannons, trebuchets, pedal-powered doohickeys, oh yes. No explosions are allowed, a galling rule to some contestants, but the biggest air cannons with barrels up to 150 feet long can shoot their fruit projectiles most of a mile, making each one what one spectator called one heck of a pea shooter. Need one, need one spell out that virtually all the competitors are male? Dorothy Blades, a member of a rare all-female team of chunkers called the Dragon Ladies, whose cannon, hard hats, and gloves were all a tastefully matching shade of pink, thinks men, cra- thinks, thinks men crave the sense of power that only blasting a pumpkin into orbit in front of a large crowd can provide. Plus, it's a drinkathon, she adds. It's not just that men like shooting things. Many of them also like fiddling with big gadgets. And the pumpkin chunkin shows what can be achieved when hundreds of mechanically adept minds focus on one utterly pointless objective. The hydraulics on these air cannons must be just so, as must the springs on the catapults. The machine's names must be either macho, e.g., Second Amendment, say yes to Michigan, or crude, chunkin' up. (laughs) Uh, Distances must be measured with a handheld GPS system that gives readers to the near that gives readings to the nearest hundredth of a foot after each pumpkin lands eager men on quad bikes zoom around looking for the crater and then start triangulating <laughs> wow that's the economist of england yes in fact looking at the pumpkin chunkin cat, uh, cat, uh, uh, contest and now we're going to have a rare sound of the contest itself that's that's actually happening uh, right now oh look out hey, duck everybody look out Oh! Ah. Mine went three feet, so I don't think I qualify. On to other very important news. We've talked about fast food here. We've talked about Fruitport, the town of Fruitport in Michigan. But we haven't talked about uh, lunar rovers made of cheese yet, so we need to get straight to that. This is from the Associated Press last week from Muncie, Indiana. While the moon isn't really made of cheese, the next lunar rover to cross its surface could be. Ball State University biology professor Walter Smith is asking his students to consider edible lunar vehicles in a research project that includes elementary school students in Australia. He says edible vehicles might be a way to reduce the junk that astronauts leave behind in space. Or or when they leave hurling pumpkins in space. Can you See, if you hurled a pumpkin in space... It wouldn't stop, so it would literally keep going forever until it hit, because because you know space has is a vacuum and has no uh, resistance, fiction and stuff. So you could send a pumpkin 
gazillions of miles. Sorry, um, that's not in the article. Smith says the project also teaches the students practical applications of science in a field called design technology. The students are building small model rovers using foods like jelly beans and mandarin oranges. Working in teams, the Ball State students have corresponded about their edible models via email and video conferencing with sixth graders in Australia. I wish I did that in sixth grade. Building lunar rovers out of maraschino cherries or mandarin oranges or jelly beans or whatever the heck they can get a hold on. Well, that calls for a song about chickens. Hi, lads. This is Bob V. Discope telling you the things are Melarooney, Vout, and Oh, Dig It. And here is a man that can dig it without asking John L. Lewis. I mean Slim Gaylord, that mad savage boy. You're on, Slim. Pedro, my buddy. Oof. 
thank heavens for Slim Gaylord and chickens. That was Chicken Rhythm by Slim Gaylord, and that was a very soulful intro by Bing, uh, Bing Crosby. Bing Hope, Bob Crosby, Hope, Bing Tab Hunter. I don't know what I'm saying. This is Pandora's Lunchbox. Coming up in just a moment, Arwolf will help us to face the music. That's in less than eight minutes. Even less than seven, almost. But in the meantime, chicken. Okay. First of all, we need to talk about, again, a British newspaper looking at American culture, which may be the best way to see us. This from the Times Online in the UK. The man in the chicken suit looked angry, and that in its own right was something to be admired. It's not easy to look angry when you're wearing yellow feathers and a plastic beak. I knew he was angry because of the sign on his chest, which read, Arnold is a debate chicken, and he kept shouting, vote no, and traitor at passing cars. We were standing outside the Skirball Cultural Center in Los Angeles, waiting for Arnold Schwarzenegger to arrive. I was there to cover the governor's first televised meeting with voters and to try to understand one of the strangest elections in recent U.S. history. The chicken was there to show his disgust at the governor's refusal to engage in a live televised debate. I approached the feathered protester, notebook in hand. Hi there, I ventured. I'm a big Republican chicken, came the muffled reply. Hold on. I'm a big Republican chicken. I'm a reporter from the Times of London, I countered. A skinny, pale hand emerged from under the chicken's wing. Todd Warden, as in prison, came the business-like introduction. I'm from Orange County, and I work with computers. Todd told me he was upset that the governor had lied to him about taking cash donations from, quote, special interests, unquote. That was why he had turned up to encourage his fellow Californians to vote no to the proposition supported by Arnie in the special election. Uh, everything that Arnie proposed went down anyway. I don't know if he had any chicken proposals, but in the meantime, we're running out of time, so it's important that I get to the Poultrygeist. Absolutely important. Poultrygeist, Attack of the Chicken Zombies. The newest movie from Troma Pictures. They're not paying me to do this, and if they were to propose the money, I would reluctantly take it. Now, the thing is, Poultrygeist, uh, Attack of the Chicken Zombies. Look on their PoultrygeistMovie.com website. Find out about Troma. They're the ones who did Toxic Avenger. Now... These are the trucks, toxic. <laughs> these are the. This is the Troma Pictures rules of production. Number one, safety to humans. Number two, safety to people's property. And three, make a good movie. That's number three on their list. Now, Poultrygeist. Here's the plot. When the American Chicken Bunker, a military-themed fried chicken chain, builds a restaurant on the site of an ancient Indian burial ground, local protesters aren't the only ones crying foul. The previous tenants, fueled by a supernatural force take possession of the food and those who eat it, and the survivors discover that they must band together before they themselves become the other white meat. Film lovers have been starved for sustenance. The relentless diet of predictability and pretense Hollywood has been serving up just doesn't cut it. Poultrygeist is hearty food for thought. In Poultrygeist, which we just said five seconds ago, I just added that, Troma takes on the fast food industry skewering the soulless restaurateurs in the world's first horror comedy film to feature zombie chickens, American Indians, and a bit of singing and dancing. It's Poultrygeist! And I'm sorry. On the website also, they had an opportunity to be a chicken zombie in the new Troma movie and cluck things up in sunny Los Angeles. From the studio that brought you Toxic Avenger... Cannibal the Musical, and Tromeo and Juliet comes the foulest and most excellent contest of the year. That's right, get your shot at superstardom as Troma Entertainment flies you out to sunny L.A. to shoot a scene with a surprise Troma celebrity under the direction of legendary filmmaker and creator of the Toxic Avenger, Lloyd Coffin. 
PoultryGeistMovie.com. Now, it turns out they pretty much got all the post-production and production stuff done by August, but it's it's very heartening to read PoultryGeist.com and see... No, PoultryGeistMovie.com, sorry, and see that. And one last thought, chicken and waffles. Chicken and waffles. You should know that in Southfield you will be able to order chicken and waffles soon when the Uptown Eatery sister to the new Center Eatery in Detroit, opens on 12 Mile at Evergreen in a former Mr. B's. Besides its wide-ranging menu of fresh foods... Wait, I'm not going to do that. Let me... Here we go. Chicken and waffles. Popularized in Los Angeles, the dish features a crisp, sweet waffle topped by sizzling, deep-fried wings. Chicken and waffles. And on that note, we must go. But before that, we need to do this. Well, maybe not. Hold on. Okay, that was worth the wait. This has been Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Salutations to Zai Snagglepuss. It's not. It's a calling to say congratulations are the order of the day. And I ordered you up a whole batch. So hooray. Good show. Okay, that's not even the real Snagglepuss. We have to go back to some sound effects here. This is more important. Here we go. Let's see if I can get some sound effects going here. Well, that's it. i got to get out of here. got to run fast. Coming up in just a moment, it's Arwolf and Face the Music. Thank you for uh, acknowledging my, my issues for the last half hour. This has been Pandora's Lunchbox. It has also been a show about food. And coming up in just a moment, we're going to hear another song about chickens. Yes, indeed. We're going to hear another song about chickens, and it's coming up right now. We heard before Chicken Rhythm by Slim Gaylord. Actually, uh, this one provided to me by Arwolf. This is Fried Chicken Blues by Cannon's Jug Stompers. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor.